Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the opportunity we've been given on this beautiful day to gather in thy house, to come before thy holy word and to see how it may speak to us and show us more about ourselves and help us to understand a little bit more about thee. And by doing this, that we can be made according to those attributes of the kingdom of heaven, the Beatitudes. Heavenly Father, be with us now as we divide thy, as we would open thy word, as thou was divided unto us. Be with those that could not gather with us, especially those that are, have chronic conditions or are shut in because of reason of age, or even our sister Elizabeth who's uh, recovering from a lengthy surgery. We pray, Heavenly Father, that thou would provide both comfort and healing for her. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time I was at this pulpit, um, I read and meditated from the 12th chapter of Hebrews, and I feel that I left out a lot. We were talking about the, the, the straight gate and the narrow way, and uh, there's a lot of material in, in the 12th chapter of Hebrews that I didn't get a chance to meditate on with the Lord's help, so with his help I'd like to go through some of those things and perhaps to put it in a, in a, in a positive light. Uh, let's begin reading at the uh, let's, let's, let's read the whole chapter again. Wherefore Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. <clears throat> Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men 
and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect." And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven." And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I read the entire chapter. The last time we looked at this chapter together, we dwelt on some of the illustrations that Paul uses about a, a, an athlete, for instance, uh, running a race and um, some other uh, things about this, about this straight gate that's wide enough for anyone to enter, but only for them. The one who enters the narrow gate must enter by himself, taking nothing with him. That's the key. And there are those that have found fault with God, saying, well, why is it that so many go to destruction? If God is really loving, how can he condemn so many? That's not really the right way to ask that question. The proper question is, could God have done anything differently to make it easier for anyone to enter into that way of life? And the answer is no. By removing the whole thing from our hands, by making it not of works, He made the way open for anyone, but we must enter on his terms. We cannot bring anything with us. It must be alone. It's a narrow gate, big enough for anyone, but alone. But I'd like to talk now a little bit more about the narrow way, because the Anabaptist had a quote, which I thought about a fair bit. They said, straight is the gate, and few there be that, that... go in thereat, and narrow is the way, and even fewer walk thereon. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. 
For some, they find that straight gate. They enter there through, but there's still a narrow way. It's not just a one-time decision. We don't believe in this decision-based Christianity, I think, that was popularized by the evangelists that filled stadiums, you know, to make a decision for Christ. A decision is good. But that decision is one to enter into a covenant. And that... I, I heard it said once, there's, there's, a, there's a preacher, I don't agree with his theology, but he preaches very strong against sin. And he said, he said something very, very insightful. He, he served on the mission fields in South America, I think it was in Chile, for a, a number of years. And he said when he came back to America, it was really eye-opening to see. He said, the devil has tailor-made a, uh, a doctrine, a heresy, for the Christian church in, he said America, but really it's North America, the idea that you can take Jesus as Savior and not take him as Lord. He said that was tailor-made for the American church. And it's the same thing, really, that the Anabaptists saw. There's, there's no way to divorce the narrow way from the straight gate. They go together. And walking on that narrow way is a difficult thing. It's not... It's, it's not for the careless or for those who look for ease. But there's blessings in it. And for those of you here this afternoon who have not yet entered into that straight gate and are not yet walking on the narrow way, I'd like to explain to you a little bit why those of us who have found that way are not only enthusiastic about it, but would like you to join us. The writer of Hebrews, which could very well have been the Apostle Paul, first begins with the proper focus. He says, let's look at Jesus. He's the one that went before us. He's the one that set the example. There are two things, I think, that make enduring difficult things easier, even glorious. One is having a clear purpose in mind, a destination, a benefit, something worth striving for. And the second is a role model. And Jesus Christ showed us the way. Now, the narrow way. Why would anyone in their right mind choose a way of difficulty when a way of ease is open? We read in that same passage that broad is the way that leads to destruction and, many, and, and wide is the gate and many go in thereat. So why pick the more difficult thing? Life is only worth living when it has a reason, when it has a focus. We can endure. Uh, there are stories from our own background about those who endured incredible hardship. And they did so because they had purpose. There was a focus there. Contrast that with those who have taken their own life, 
who find no longer any reason to keep living, then even things like like having plenty and riches and ease and no pain become less desirable. I heard recently uh, that, of course, many of you know that the Canadian government has approved assisted suicide. And there are some that think that the numbers of people that have actually taken that route are much higher than what's officially reported. And you would think, well, why? Why? You know, to the rest of the world, looking at us in this good country, they say the people over there, they have it good. They have medicines to help with pain. They have ease. They have comfort. They have caregivers. You know, even if you have a difficult condition, why would they choose death over life? Whereas those in the third world, you know, if you have some sort of a disability or sickness there, uh, it can be pretty miserable. My brother and I went with a work team to uh, Jamaica with some sister church people, and they had one of the places that they took us there was the, uh, it was like a, like a long-term sort of hospice care for those with disabilities. And basically, they'd just been dumped there. And it was a pretty miserable existence. And for many on that trip that maybe don't have so much of an international view of things or, 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 or don't understand as well, perhaps, how people in other countries have it much worse than we do. For them, it was a very shocking experience to see how these people were treated. And yet, in spite of that, many were quite joyful and appreciative of the visitors that they had that came to see them. So again, having a purpose brings meaning to existence. The question that I have for you is if you don't choose this narrow way, what are your options? What are you going to focus on? Where will you draw meaning from? Is life simply only for the living until it becomes uncomfortable and then you get to choose to leave it on your terms? I don't think that's a satisfying way to live. The writer of Hebrews gives us, I think, a much better way. The temptation is to grow weary and faint. Again, Christ is our example in enduring to the end. And isn't that something we all admire? Those that push past adversity, not those that take the first off-ramp and say, I'm out, too much for me. Isn't that why the world is so enthralled with the spectacle of sport? People being pushed to the very limits for the not for the certainty of a prize, but for a chance at the prize. That that somehow brings meaning to not only their existence, but to the thousands that are filling the stadium? You know, it's, I, I'm not really too much of a sports fan, but I confess that I, I really like YouTube when it comes to sports. They can take a whole 90-minute game and condense it down into about eight or nine minutes, and you see the most spectacular bits, and I don't have to waste my time watching the boring stuff. And I find World Cup fascinating just because of the global nature of it. I think it's, it, it shows you something about the nature of humanity as a whole. And then the range of emotions, from the crowds to the players, the, the jubilation and the tears, 
the, the exultation and the heartbreak. It's really the whole range of human emotion. And as you look at that and you consider that, you think like, wow, these are people that are living in the moment. They're not thinking about tomorrow, really. It's that the crucial seconds that are running down on the clock. No one's thinking that in four years we're going to do this whole thing again. Have you ever stopped and thought about that, how meaningless championships in the sports world really are? I'm going to do it all again next year. whoop de doo you won last year, so what? Everyone's forgotten about that. This year, though, <laughs> it's a fascinating thing. But when the reward is eternal, now you've got something to compete for. Now there's something that can bring meaning and focus. The stakes are so much higher. And we already have a champion. You know, the other thing that happens with sporting events is they compare current performance to past performance and the greats of the past and the, the stats and everything else that goes along with it. It's like an accountant's dream. Uh, the way that they tabulate all this stuff and he's, you know, they're, they've never scored against this person in this cir circumstance. And I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> significance? Zero. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's, it's the moment. But they, they pull up all of these things. But Christ, the greatest, the one who showed it could be done. You know, they say records are made for breaking. But then there's questions about, well, what's the actual limits of human performance? What could be done? Well, Christ did it. And because he did, we know it's possible. And that gives us encouragement. You know, I used to do a little bit of mountain biking when I was younger. And uh, first of all, you don't mountain bike alone. That's kind of the first rule, because <laughs> if you injure yourself, who, no one's picking you up. But you go, you go with people, and, and you, know, you get at the top of a particularly difficult run, and it's always the question, who's going to be the first one to go down and see if it's possible? And if so-and-so can do it, well, then I can do it too. But Jesus already did that. He showed us it's possible. The rewards are eternal. And better than that, the path itself, though painful and difficult, is intensely rewarding. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Nobody likes a wimp. Nobody likes someone who, who complains and, and uh, always tries to get their own way. Don't we admire toughness in other people? People that are willing to push through. You know, the player that gets banged up and bloodied and goes back out to play another quarter or half or whatever. Isn't that the inspiring thing? And what discipline? What fortitude? What guts? You know, that's, I think, also what makes athletics interesting is that it's not always the best players on paper that win. Sometimes there's that, there's that unquantifiable thing, that, that grit, that, that, that desire that can move even a, um, a, a team that's not really a contender suddenly out of nowhere seemingly into contention. And the one that everyone thought was going to win, I mean, this is why World Cup is kind of interesting, is it's rapid knockout. The, the perennial powers in, this, in, the, in the football world, sometimes they get put out on their rears 
by a, by a lesser team. And you think, how did that happen? There's desire there too. There's discipline. And isn't that fulfilling for us too? That when it's, you know, it's, it's no fun. It's no, um, it's no great thing to celebrate when we overcome a simple adversity. You know, I've, I've told my, my boys before too, when we're playing sports together in the backyard, I said, I'm, I'm going to push you. I'm not going to let you win. I want you to get better. I want you to push yourself. And they, they find it rewarding now as they, as they build the skills and have, have fun pushing themselves. Isn't that where we also find purpose for ourselves? Not repeating the same thing that we know we can do hundreds and hundreds of times, but to, but to push ourselves to the edge, to the limit. And God does that with us. Except here's the thing. He does it so much better than any coach or, 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 or any other circumstance we could dream up could, that could do. He pushes us right to our limit, not that we would fail, but that we would succeed. That we would overcome. Isn't that feeling? Overcoming something of difficulty, isn't that, isn't that gratifying? Isn't that something that really makes us appreciate life and living? See, we're really competing with ourselves when it comes to the spiritual way and walking on that narrow way. And God is like the best coach possible to, to, to keep us at our very best if we let him. Because he knows not only is that the way, is that the narrow way, but that's also the way that we will be, we will be most gratified by our existence here. Everyone's looking for happiness, but you know what the funny thing is? No one can define it. Ask people what happiness really is. People will say things like money, you know, maybe security, but those people that have those things aren't happy, so that can't be it. So what really is happiness? What makes life worth living? That's a big question. I'll tell you. I'll give you the answer. We'll skip right to the end. The secret to happiness is becoming what God knows you can become. And the best thing about that happiness is, and Scripture calls it joy, is that the journey itself is gratifying. It's not just a destination. See, to the carnal man, happiness is an end point. To the Christian, happiness or joy is is the journey, is the narrow way. Because there is focus. There is an end goal. There's one who's, who's, who's set the path already for us. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. It's true that the difficulties of training and of, of pushing yourself, the discipline required is not really pleasant. It's not pleasant in and of itself. But when we see the result, if you ask the champion, was all the discipline and training worth it? He says, yes, definitely. Because of where it led me. Now, if you ask the same question to the guy that finished second or third, he maybe would have a different answer. But this, again, is where the narrow way comes through, where, there, where we can see the blessing in it because 
The, the goal is there. The success is guaranteed if we walk that narrow way. We can all experience what it's like to be at our very best and to conquer and to overcome. Now, we understand, too, that there's times where things are low. There's times of difficulty. There's times where you have to grind through. Where you have to do something because you know it's good and you know it's right, not because you want to do it. And there even the, the scriptures anticipate that need and they give us this pep talk. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be times when the Spirit of God is going to remind you. You're not going to maybe appreciate that reminding that you need to pick up and move on. Quit yourself like men, the Scripture says. In the Old English, gird up your loins. And it's tough, but doesn't it make the whole experience so much sweeter when we get to the destination and we look back at the difficult path that we've traveled and say, wow, that was worth it. I remember Brother Edmund preaching once uh, after an Algonquin trip about that, doing a portage. And it seems like it's going to never end and the yoke from the canoe is biting into your, your muscles on your shoulders and you're sweating and the mosquitoes are there and, and, and then you catch the glimpse through the trees of that gleam of water that tells you you're almost at the end. And then you can, oh, then you get, and then when you take that, that, that canoe off and you finally, oh, wow, now that was, now it's good. <laughs> That's just a temporary thing, a little, a little glimpse maybe of what it might be like in heaven when we finally lay aside this earthly body and look back at everything that God has led us through, because there are some that, for whom life is very unpleasant. They have a great deal of difficulty in this life, and this life isn't a sweet thing, but I believe for them it will be even sweeter when they finally reach glory and are able to look back and receive their reward, because we know in heaven the rewards are not all equal. For those that say, I just want to do just enough to just get inside heaven and, and, and rest my back against the back wall of heaven. You know, barely get in. I don't know about that. There's something that God hates, and that's the sin of presumption. Those that presume upon God and his character. And if you have that attitude you may find yourself on the wrong side of that back wall. It is the way. The way, the way is, 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 is tied to the destination. The benefits of heaven actually start here. That's also what makes, what makes it all worthwhile. It's, it's all connected. For those that are lose sight of that, then life can become very bitter. 
It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. When we lose sight of that, it's easy then to look at the chastening of the Lord and the difficulties of life and, and, and see only negativity. To lose, lose sight of the God behind it all, as Job momentarily did. And he said, he, said, he laid his hand on his mouth and, and said, I, I will speak no more. So he didn't realize the whole thing. Have you ever had that experience where, you know, you, you really get upset about something because you think it's a certain way and you maybe say something very strong or maybe send an email or something like that and then you find out that the situation wasn't quite that way and you missed a crucial part that would have really changed the way you looked at the whole thing and then you're kind of embarrassed, aren't you? You know, when you realize, oh, I, you know, I've done that before with my children. And you think you know what the situation is, you go ahead and discipline one of the kids and then you realize afterwards, oh, it wasn't really that way and you feel about this big because you took matters into your own hands and you didn't wait to find out what was really going on. That's what bitterness really is. You didn't wait to see the whole thing. If you saw the whole thing, you wouldn't be bitter. You would realize that it all evens out in the end, that God judges everything, and even when someone does you wrong, that that's not going to go unpunished. That in the end, the cheater gets caught. You know, in World Cup, again, they have this thing called VAR where they do a video replay. And, you know, it all looks good until the guy goes like this and they go consult the screen and, oh, he was offside. That goal doesn't count. Or the guy, uh, he touched the ball with his hand. Doesn't count. Eventually, the right will prevail. And there again is the way, the narrow way, comes through. You know, on the Broadway, it looks like people get away with it sometimes. Think, wow, he cheated, he lied, he stole, he was unfaithful, and he still had a wonderful life. <laughs> Until he reached the other side of the grave. And then the accounting began. And then the shortcuts that were taken are exposed. The wrongs that were done are made clear and the real penalty is dished out. Not by courts down here, but by a God who sees all things right. Nobody gets away with anything. And for the one who walks the narrow way, there's comfort in that. I don't have to worry. David said, you know, my, my foot and I slipped when I considered the wicked and, the, and it looked like they were getting away with it. He says, and then, then I went into the house of the Lord and I considered their end. Think, wow, that's a poor trade. A poor trade. 70, 80, maybe 90 years of what looks like success and what passes for happiness. To trade for an eternity of torment? That's a bad investment. A bad choice. The example that the scripture uses here is Esau. For one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. One bowl, that was it. Think about that. Think about the long-range effects of what Esau did. 
He could have been the one through whom Messiah would come. He could have been the head of the patriarchs. In the end, we know that God had chosen the head of time, but that didn't negate his, his choice. But he traded all of that to have a nation named after him, to, have, to, to bless all nations, to be labeled with the all-time greats, and he chose a bowl of stew. Pretty poor trade. And even though he cried about it afterwards, it didn't do any good. He had already made his choice. He had already picked the easy way out. And afterward, there was no going back and correcting the mistake. It says he sought it with tears. But it made no difference. There was no place of repentance found for him. You know, the... So why is it that more people don't choose the narrow way? Why is it that so many choose the broad way? It's simple, actually. It's the idea of deferred gratification. You know, they did this experiment, social experiment, I think, uh, with children, where they said you can have one cookie now, or if you wait, you get two cookies. And, you know, the vast majority pick the one cookie, the one now. I'll take it now. Everyone seems to know that you can't take anything with you from this life, but no one really seems to want to do anything about it. No one stops and says, well, wait a minute, if, if I can't take anything with me, is it really worth the stress, stress the damaged relationships, the health problems, and everything else that goes along with chasing after the riches of this world if I can't take it with me anyway? I don't know exactly why that is. Why is it that people don't consider that more? I guess really what it is because we are um, eternal creatures. We will not die and so we don't really believe we can die. Even here already. Our own death seems a though we kind of intellectually know that one day we'll die, it just seems too unreal to be believed in. Yet the thing is, that's the most believable thing in all the world, <laughs> that you will one day die. There's no ambiguity there. That's a 100% that's average. There's no probabilities involved. And yet it seems so distant, so foreign, so unreal to us. But there is another reality. See, I think the other thing is, though we know that we will die, there's also this deep-seated awareness within all of us that somehow there's something in us that keeps going on. And if that's true, if we do continue from this, from this life onto, onto some other existence on the other side of death, what must that existence be like? We have the sense of justice that God uh, uh, gave us as well, that, that one day wrongs will be righted, that the good will be rewarded and the evil will be punished. We all kind of understand that. Even, even those that don't really believe in, in the Bible will say things, you know, like the evil of this world, 
you know, going to rot in hell or something like that. They use that sort of language. There's an understanding that there's, there's some kind of a justice system after this life as well. So then, is heaven really a fairy tale? But you're come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Is there any prize worth more than that? Is there any other place that you'd rather be? You know, the best place in the world still loses its charm after a while. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my favorite time of year was camp, going to Eastern Camp. I loved it. Looked forward to it. I'd gladly trade my birthday and Christmas for camp if it came down to that. But... (laughs) Someone I was talking with once said, you know, one week of camp is like heaven on earth. But I think if we had two weeks of camp, we might have a split. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of chuckled at that. It was kind of said in jest. But isn't that kind of true of the human existence, of, 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 of living here? Even the best vacation spot in the world gets old after a while. Eventually, like the best meal that we're having, we get full. And we can't eat anymore doesn't taste good anymore but a place that doesn't have those limits a place that is bliss where all the best and brightest of everything is is that worth missing and then the difficulty of the narrow way to get there will seem so much more fulfilling it's the whole package you know part of the joy of heaven is going to be able to look back on our lives and say, look how God led us through all of this in spite of my mistakes, and that's where I fell down. But he picked me up there again, and I kept going, and I'm so glad I did. And there, goodbyes are never, uh, never given. A place of bliss. Perfect. We don't fully understand that, but there's something in us that says, that's right. That's where I want to go. That's, that's a worthwhile destination. Again, I'd like to circle back to what I said at the beginning. If that's not your destination, what is? Where are you going to find meaning in your life? What sort of a destination are you going to look for? Are you going to choose a, a medical answer to life's pain? On your terms? Is that going to give you some sort of a fulfillment? I don't know what the other option is. The Broadway doesn't consider the end. It leads to destruction, but no one's looking there. They're only kind of looking side to side as they're going along that way. The Christian on the narrow way has the end in view, and then the journey becomes, becomes rich and worthwhile and meaningful. And those that are traveling that same way with us are, become beloved companions, closer even than our blood relations. Think about that. 
And we know those who have lost family members over their decision to follow Christ and have found instead a new family. Again, I, if you don't choose this narrow way, what are you choosing? Ask yourself that. None of us can make that decision for you. We can only tell you what we have found. And we can only say what was said to Nathaniel before he met Jesus. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. May the Lord grant whatever was lacking to what was said. There's one more benefit of walking the narrow way. That's the benefit of being an inspiration to others. Again, sports furnishes us some examples. You know, the, the greats of today were inspired by the greats of yesteryear. But there was an example that was given talking with my brother last night and it's really caused me to stop and think. Of all the people that I know firsthand in my life, I think one of the ones who has suffered the greatest degree of adversity is my uh, brother's sister-in-law, Cara Freeman. Difficult life, a difficult disease. Thank God now she's doing better and is impacting other people, but the things that she suffered the difficulty. There were times there where I thought, oh, man, how can you keep going? Well, you may not know this, but there was another young woman about her age, same disease, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. She chose medically-assisted suicide. She ended her life. Who knows what could have been? But she provided no inspiration for anyone else. You think of the many that have been touched by Cara's example, the difficulty she's gone through. The others, the nameless others, who have seen her example and say, surely I can carry my cross. It can't be that bad. If she can carry hers, mine doesn't look so bad. the reward in heaven for that kind of perseverance. Don't we all like a good comeback story? Don't we all like to see the underdog win? Think about that on a spiritual scale now. The impossible come from behind win and how inspiring that is. You know, when, when things like that happen on the sports field, even sometimes the fans of the opposing side stand up and applaud for, the, for the, the players that beat their team because they recognize the greatness of where they've come back from. But spiritually, how much better? I mean, really, sports is essentially a juvenile pursuit. It's for kids, come on. You know, like, the, 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 even the attitudes of, of, of the athletes on the field and stuff, they, they act like children sometimes, or the fans. I mean, goodness, some of the stuff they do, you can only label it as childish. But spiritually, like... Take those things and extrapolate them now into, into the real thing. Wow. How much better must that be? To have inspired someone else to keep going. 
and then together in glory to look back on that path and just shake our heads and smile and say, wow, God brought us through all of that? Wouldn't that be fulfilling? Wouldn't that be, you know, to have a, something outside of yourself that you've, a desire, an aim that you've managed to pass on to other people, to inspire others. That's where it's at. That's the benefit of the narrow way. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on it for anything. May the Lord add whatever's lacking. I know the sermon was not maybe particularly structured, but I just felt burdened. That, you know, what is it that would make a small group of us and some young people maybe gather together on a Sunday when many are probably watching a game? If it's still on, I don't know. What's real? What's really real? And what makes a difference for your life? And what sort of a legacy do you want to leave behind? See, for me, the GOATs of my life, and I mean by that the acronym G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, the GOATs of my life that are gone now are the ones that are still impacting me today. Those ones that I looked up to as a young Christian that are no longer here. Those from the past that I never met, but I read their writings. And I say, thank God for that man or that woman that wrote those thoughts. The ones who penned our songs and our hymnals that just resonate when I sing them. The one that we just sang, perfect, perfect. Isn't that so much better than to be a line entry on some list of sports champions? To directly impact someone else for eternity. Now that's a goal. That's a goal worthwhile. You want to make a difference? You want to do something meaningful? Career, money, whatever else you want to stack up against that pales in comparison. And the best thing about all of this is we will, be, we will become the most complete version of ourselves by doing this and heaven too. I can't see any other reason to miss out on that. I hope you won't either. May the Lord add whatever is lacking to what was said.